0: Welcome to the Speaking Podcast. You can find all our episodes on speakingpodcast.com or also on BitChute and YouTube, and you'll see the links in the description below. I also have the Awakening Podcast, the Learn Polish Podcast, and the Meditation Podcast, and all can be found on roycallon.com. Today, I'm really intrigued by my guest because I've listened to his TEDx, I've watched him on television, and I've seen a lot of his stuff. Please welcome Lewis Cheney.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking
0: very forward to a conversation with you. So I always ask my guests, please introduce yourself to the listeners. All right. My name is Louis Cheney. I come
1: from a long background of working in television. I've worked in everything from television news to entertainment news. I've done commercials for television. I've done some independent film work. I moved over into Toastmasters about six years ago, decided the speaking world and what I did in television should merge. And that's how I created my company, Get to the Damn Point LLC. I love that company name. Brilliant. It does exactly what it says on the tin. Yeah, (laughs) It does. And the funny thing is I get so many people. I just did this the other day. I called the company and the lady I'm talking to, when I told her the name of my company to give her my email address, she chuckled. And then I told her what it was about. She goes, oh, I could use that. I just can't get to the point. So it kind of draws people in. And I like
0: that. And that's, people forget that, like, because it's all about marketing. You know, I like any of the businesses I've had, I use really quirky business cards and people say, I will never dump that card. That's what you, you need, either a name or something or a logo or something that people will remember instead of just having, you know, dull and boring. Because yeah, everybody is dull and boring. You have to stand out from the crowd. Well, the way I tested my business
1: card, you were talking about getting quirky. I've got mine and I do those and they look like money. It's like one of those things that oftentimes religious organizations get and they toss them on the ground. They're called drop cards and it looks like three $100 bills. And I bought these because I'm like, if I hand you that, you're going to hang on to it and mess with your friends, which is exactly what happens. And if you take that business card, I tested it. I laid out all the business cards I've gotten over the years and laid mine in the center of it and went, yep, that
0: draws the eye. (laughs) So that's how I chose it. Yeah, no, Brilliant. So I always like to know your journey because, I mean, obviously you're a very competent speaker, but, you know, as a child going to school, what what way was uh, Lewis? If you're looking for a challenge with somebody who struggled with it, I
1: probably needed a lot of work. I'm sure I needed a lot of work when I first started. But Roy, I was the guy, you know, I'm a kid of the 60s. I got up in the mornings and watched the space launches. I'd get up and watch what was happening with the Apollo missions and I'd go to school first grade and I would get up in front of the class and tell them about what I had seen that morning. So I think it was inherent in me from a very early age to be in front of an audience. My teacher encouraged it because she's like, okay, he's going to tell about something educational today. And it was a peer group thing. So I think it's just been in there since, you know, probably when I was born.
0: Excellent. And- there's so many things I want to talk on, but uh, I suppose magic, because I think that's a form of art as well. It's speaking. People don't realize that. My, my son is seven. Since he's five, I've been doing magic with him because I think he doesn't even realize he's going to be confident in front of people by performing.
1: Oh, absolutely. It's one of the greatest icebreakers in the world. As a matter of fact, I've taught it as an icebreaker. And people don't realize, I think, in the speaking world how much that plays into it. I've been asked that before about how do those two things work together. I've spent a lot of time working in restaurants. I've worked in one restaurant for eight years up until COVID happened and another one for four years. Friday and Saturday nights, I'm out there doing three hours of magic a night walking up to your table you've got about the same amount of time to get that audience's attention as you do an audience you're speaking for, whether that's a meeting or a bigger audience. You've got that five or 10 second window. And if they don't like you, they're not going to like what you're presenting. So I had to crack the ice with them. And it's the same thing in the speaking world, cracking the ice by having that opening statement. But you're right with magic. Magic is it's international and it's universal. And if you have something that doesn't require a lot of the words in it, then you can open people's eyes up to you and instantly make yourself likable
0: by using it. And uh, I know you're a mentalist as well because I've seen you doing that in the telly. Does that always work? Because you know, that, That's a lot of work to kind of get around. I don't think that's easy because I've seen, I've read a book on it, and like I understand bits of it, but uh, to perform it and so confidently and on telly as well, you know, is a gift.
1: Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. But I'll I'll let you in on a little bitty secret coming from a background of television. We do those what's called live to tape. So that way, if I do mess up, we can do it over again. But I honestly, I've been lucky. I haven't messed up a whole lot. But there are nights, man, I'll tell you, I've been in the restaurant and I'll do something magical or mentalism. And it just I just totally mess it up the most you can mess it up. One night it was so bad working with one of my regulars, a young child the deck of cards I'm using, I finally said, you know what? I'm just giving up on
0: this and moving to something else here. You take these home. I felt like the cards were cursed. (laughs) And like, I know that like the story uh, is important as well. and not just like in speaking, but in magic as well. Like, so I know the the power of the story. Cause some people just do the magic trick and it's done. Another could kind of make it last five to 10 minutes just by telling a nice story. You know, that's so
1: true. And so many people don't realize that how much storytelling plays a part in it. If you just do, ta-da, here's your trick, that doesn't work as well. When you draw people in, we all know that stories are sticky. They are the way that humans communicate and have communicated for years since the days of the cavemen. But to have that story to wrap around that draws them in so much. As a matter of fact, one of the anchors that I've worked with up at uh, the local TV station said, Lewis, you know, he brings you in because he draws you in with that story, then he lowers the boom on you. And in magic, it's called patter. And one of the things I've taught over the years is patter matters. You've got to have the good story to go with it. Otherwise, it's just a magic trick. You elevate it beyond magic trick to something astounding by just putting some story in
0: there and showing a little bit of heart. And like uh, on the television, because sometimes you see people on television, you know they're uncomfortable. When I was looking at you, you looked more comfortable than the actual host that was there. So what's the <laughs> what's the trick to that? Is it just uh, you've done it so many times, or how did you you know get the confidence? And there's the a thing of the camera,
1: I didn't. I worked mostly behind the camera. When I worked in television, I had to get out of television to be on television. It's the weirdest thing. But the way I deal with confidence is the same way that I've taught so many reporters and photojournalists over the years, particularly reporters, is when you're in front of an audience, whether that's in a meeting, whether it's out in front of a thousand people, whether it's on camera, the best thing to do is imagine you're talking to a friend. Simply imagine everything you're doing is for a friend. In my case, I have a host that I really like, and she's really cool, so I can play right to her, and she's very, very good about making you the star of the show, so she's easy to play with. But if you are not somebody that you know very well or you can't communicate with, imagine that person as a friend. Or if you're talking out to an audience, imagine you see your friend there. And that way you're connecting with somebody you know and you're just telling what's happening. You're not trying to do a performance. You're simply talking.
0: Okay. Okay. Very good. And uh, you mentioned, uh, is it like six years you're in Toastmasters? So what's your Toastmasters journey? And what, why did you get into it? I mean, obviously, you were a competent speaker. That Was it to do competitions or what was the reasoning behind getting into Toastmasters?
1: You know, I know you're a Toastmaster as well and have been for a well, while. Well, I've also. done it
0: different to you because I, I basically, it's only f- I'm four years in Toastmasters. Like I would shake if I had to speak prior to that. You know, I was never. Really? Uh, yeah, I was. Hated public speaking. I mean, I used to be in board meetings, and I was very competent at my job. But my voice was gone. Like, that's the way I used to sound when I used to have to speak. And I used, I would work like most hours of the day. Loved it. Come to the meeting, I couldn't sleep the night before because I used to dread the meeting so much. And if you were, in, if I was in an event, and you were going around going, what's your name and what you do. My brain would shut off when there's about 10 people before me and I just go into uh. <laughs> uh, So I was a late bloomer getting you know, and it was Toastmasters that helped me. What's funny about that is I've seen
1: people like that. And you know, that's one of the things I love is helping people get past that. You know, the people who grip the lectern and their knees lock up. And we even did a piece. I don't know if you saw it or not. We did a piece for our Toastmasters Club where we show a lady laying behind the lectern dead. And there's like a coroner there and police are there and all of this and like a live newscast talking about a speaking scared her to death and we could help you in our Toastmasters club. So <laughs> what we did, because that's the big the big thing people say is it you know, scares you to death. But for me getting into Toastmasters, I got an invite from a friend. i had been invited a few times. I just hadn't gone. I'm like, what is Toastmasters? And I was as ignorant about Toastmasters as most people are. I think they think Toastmasters, they think literally I'm going to be toasting people. And that isn't what it's about at all. It's about leadership and communication, as you know. But I went my first day, and I didn't know anything about what a table topic was even. The lady who was up there, and she was the Toastmaster, who's now gone on to be my mentor, my good friend, Lou Ann Clark, she picked on me that day. She said, I figured you could probably handle it. She told me later, but she turns, and she asked me this question for my very first thing in Toastmasters. She said, Lewis, we've all heard what the dog days of summers are. What are possum nights? One of those totally made up things. I now have to stand and dance and come up with an answer for what possum nights was. And that was my introduction to Toastmasters, but it's a world that I've just fallen in love with.
0: Not not an easy question for your first. No,
1: (laughs) no, not at all.
0: (laughs) But but I love the, the, the table topics because Mm -hmm. I don't know, you just get a question and I think that's what gets you out of it. It's not going up and doing your five to seven minute speech. It's the tip of, because when you're in any business environment or just in a group of uh, party, someone's going to ask you something and to be able to just start rattling off instead of fumbling, you become very competent by doing the table topics. You absolutely do and I agree. I think table topics is one of the
1: biggest things about Toastmasters that works very very well is because it does make you have to think on your feet. But even more than that, and there's an old adage out there and I'm, I know I'm not going to get it exactly right, but it's like if you need me to speak, For 10 minutes, I'll need, you know, three weeks to prepare. If you need me to speak for 15, I'll need a week. If you need me to speak for an hour, I'm ready right now. Because anybody can sit there and rattle for an hour. But to be able to do something more concisely and more powerfully as you get through the idea of working with these table topics and you start to get good at it, that's where you start to shine. And the funny thing is you don't have to do it just there. Do it to yourself when you're driving along. You know, you see something on a restaurant sign, just start making up things about it just start looking at life and just making things up while you're driving. You'll think you're like an idiot driving around talking to yourself,
0: but it will make you
1: better at speaking.
0: It truly, truly will. Yeah. Speaking of uh, talking like an idiot, I remember my first speech when I had to do it, I was practicing in the car saying the speech and just looking across and people were looking at you know, in the other car looking at me and I was Oh God, what am I have to do? <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there, man. We've all been there. So I know that I, uh, not only have you done a TEDx, I've, la- I've looked at a load of uh, TED speeches and TEDx. Yours was excellent, right? It was really, yeah, I was, I, you know, I was laughing a few times through it, but it was like, it was one of these ones, you touch the emotions, which is a talent to be able to do that. So one, how did you get the, the gig? Because you know a lot of people aspire to do the TEDx. And then how did you actually practice for it? To get the gig in TEDx, it's actually easier than you think. You simply apply.
1: Now, I say that I wound up applying. I think this was my third time going through the process. And even this particular time, I hadn't gotten picked. I was the secondary. But one of the primaries fell out and they called me and said, hey, we've had we've had a hole opened up. Would you mind being a part of it? I'm like, sure. And I think part of it was I just didn't have my topic down. The key thing there is making sure you've got what you're talking about down. You know your subject material and you're passionate about it. You don't want to go in in there and try to talk about something you don't know. That's the whole point of it. But as far as the rehearsal on it, a lot of times I don't rehearse everything down to having it completely memorized, but I will admit in this one, it was. I had a lot of it down and memorized. I had color coded the sheet. I'd broken things down by categories, and I'll give you that little piece. What I do is when I break down a script like that, and I know the elements I'm going to put in, I go in and I color them on my computer. Roy G. Biv, the colors of the rainbow. And I list those colors, you know, the first thing's red, the next thing is orange, the next thing is yellow. So I know by color code which section I'm rolling into. And that's how I practice for it. And like you, I was in the car, I was in the shower, I was sitting here on the couch, I'm standing up. And when you rehearse, do stand up and rehearse. It's not the same as sitting in your chair. Get up and move around, know how you're going to do things, because you can marry a lot of your movement to what you're going to say as well. But that's how I rehearsed for it.
0: And would you ever record yourself prior to, not just that one, but other speeches, just to see how you come across?
1: Yes, I had recorded myself. Not a whole lot. I, I did a couple of things in Toastmasters. I actually shot video of it. And that's another thing. If you're If you're doing a speech in your Toastmasters club, hand your phone to a friend and have them record it. That way you not only get to hear yourself, but see yourself, which is equally as important, if not more important, because more body language sells you than your voice does or your words do. It's your presentation okay. of how you are comfortable on the stage. So make sure you do that instead of just recording. Yeah, I did that because that's something I wanted to see myself. So I'm going, oh, OK, I didn't like the way I moved here. OK, I think I can add this movement here. I did a little bit of that. Yes.
0: And uh, have you done any workshops or events?
1: I've done workshops for Toastmasters. I've done several of those. As a matter of fact, the one about the magic is one of my most fun ones I did for them. I also did one teaching humor, talking about putting humor in. And I know that's something that you're familiar with too, is you put some fun things in there because you don't want it to be completely dark all the time. You need to have those little... There's a little bit of a roller coaster in there where they have their ups and their downs. So I've done a few workshops like that. I've done a couple for some groups outside of that, but I'm not really so much into doing a whole lot of the workshop stuff.
0: I remember I did the magic twice. The first time I was only kind of getting into magic with my son and everything worked. And like the audience was like in awe of what I was doing. (laughs) And then I don't know, was it like a year later? or was I decided to do another one. And every single trick, except for one, didn't work. It was the last one i done, and they were in awe. And I was so embarrassed. And people would come up to me. after that. was brilliant. And, you know, the one with the rope, where you cut the rope by the way. I couldn't do it. Every single thing, I'd practice it, and it worked. And then when i done it in front of me, like, for me, it was like, I really need to practice these tricks before I actually try, try that one again. If, I would love to see some of your work. If you've got any of that out there, I would love for you to send that to me later. I'd like to see that. Yeah, no, I, I'm sure I recorded the, the two of them that, uh, that they were done. So so what what, what are the kind of speak? Have you done keynotes? Do you do, do you do kind of speak for clients or what's your kind of main thing for speaking at the moment?
1: Right now, for the moment, I'm trying to get my company out there. That's the main thing. I created this online course. that's five hours long, and I've been devoting all my time to that. Prior to that, I had worked for, of all things, a guy who comes from a TV background. I had a friend of mine in television ask me, said, how in the hell did you go from being a guy who once was a photographer in television to speaking about stem cells? And I'm like, I just landed there. But I had spoken about stem cells for being used for things like joint pain. And what I was doing is working for a company where I would go out and be on the road three days a week. I would give anywhere from four to eight seminars in a week. And those seminars were the same seminar over and over again to audiences 50 to dead talking about stem cells. And I'll tell you, that seven months that I did of doing that prior to COVID, COVID shut it down. That honed me so well on standing up and being able to do things as a keynote in front of people. I had done a little bit of keynoting before, but very little. This really, really strengthened that. So it's something I would like to get back into, but I put everything aside to work on the company right after that.
0: And how long
1: were the presentations that you were doing? One hour. There were one hour PowerPoint presentations, and they were really, really good PowerPoint. Whoever had created this. They were stupendous. Most PowerPoints aren't. I'm, I'm very anti-PowerPoint, but this one was because it was something I had to do. But the interesting thing is, and this is something I'll recommend to people, if you've got a PowerPoint that is something you got to do, and it's um, it's a canned one, one that your company says, hey, this is the one you have to do. Talk to them, see if you can change it, personalize it, make it your own, get rid of some of the graphics and images and throw in a picture or two, lessen the words. There's things you can do to it to improve it. And that's what I did with the one they gave me when they finally gave me the, the latitude to be able to do that. And when they did, my conversions went up to 75% on average because I was able to personalize it. And that's the key is personalizing presentation.
0: Excellent. And I'm just curious, your first month to your seventh month, what did you do differently? What I did in that I was regimented
1: to having to use exactly what they had and the problem with it was there was a lot of medical speak. I'm not a doctor. Don't play one on TV. I don't even <laughs> pretend to be a doctor. So there's no way that I can go in there and say, "Well, you know, my I had this issue with this client or I had this issue with this patient." I couldn't do that. I had to quote unquote stick to script when it came to describing the medical things. But what I could do is I could relate other parts of it. For instance, one of the things they talked about was using A lot of drugs. People wind up on that drug kick where you're trying to take pain medications. and You're doing all this and the doctor does surgery. The surgery doesn't work. And the next thing you know, you're stuck on medication and therapy for the rest of your life. And I talked about that from the standpoint of a cousin of mine who had had gotten a hold of fentanyl and she overdosed on it at the age of 42 and she wound up dying from it. And I talked about the dangers of making sure that whatever drugs you're taking have a system in place, know what you're doing, have somebody checking behind you because it's a dangerous role to play in. And that's why we talked about the stem cells would take care of that overdoing the drugs. But once I was able to start incorporating some personal stories in there, that's when I see the audience doing this, I understand. So it got to them more than if I just used the stats. Excellent.
0: Excellent. And just because I don't think everybody realizes the benefits of stem cells, you may just let people know because some people don't know what they are. And...
1: Well, I can tell you from what I had experienced, and it's, it's based on the individual, it, it, different people experience it different ways. But I will tell you this, I had a friend of mine that had it done. And what was the problem with her is she had some issues with her neck. And they went in and they injected these stem cells. And these are stem cells. And just to clarify, the ones that we were using so people don't go, oh, wow, he's using stem cells. Ah, These were not from aborted babies. These came from the placenta afterwards. And they were cells that were just brand new day zero cells. The babies had been born. Everything was fine. These were taken from the umbilical cord is where they were taken from. They're harvested. They're put in on basically into a deep freeze for So you get ready to use them, then they inject them into you. So you're getting a day zero stem cell. So what that does is when you put that into your body, it can rebuild and regenerate. For example, the tissue in your knee, if you've got a lot of tissue missing, this can go in and actually rebuild the tissue. It's a process that takes a while. You don't just grow a baby overnight. So it's the same thing here too. It could take up to nine months or a year before you really start to see the difference. But in the case of my friend, it made a huge difference in her world.
0: Oh, brilliant and i mean it stops a lot of the surgery as well which people go down that route so yeah i've heard i've heard great things about it as well and uh, i see as well that you you were doing stuff for rotary
1: i have spoken to a few rotary clubs and those are very interesting people especially here because i'm in kentucky in the united states in kentucky and, and things the clocks move a little slower here, you might want to say in, in some ways. But everybody is very, very down to earth and very, very welcoming and wonderful. And I managed to make a few friends out of the Rotary Clubs that I've gone to. I've spoken to some chambers and things like that. And these people are just, they want to know things. They want to know about all kinds of people in their community. So if you're looking to speak to some people, find your Rotary Clubs, find your Lions Club, find your Chambers of Commerce. They're always looking for somebody to come and give them new information.
0: And I, I like some people wouldn't be aware of like the Chamber of Commerce, but you know, when you're, you're at them events, you're surrounded by business people. And exactly. you know, you know, so you would basically go in and do like, uh, would it be a short speech or what, what was typically in the Chamber of Commerce? In Chamber of Commerce, you're not
1: going to have a whole lot of
0: time. They They
1: do this over a lunch break. So they have all their stuff they're going to do. And then they put you on. I think the longest one I did for any of the chambers was maybe 20 minutes. So you don't have a lot of time, which is a good thing about when you're doing your speech is, you know, you mod, you put them into modules so you know you can strip certain things out and condense it or you can lengthen it depending on how much time you've got. But that's about what you're going to get is maybe about 15 or 20 minutes. Okay. And
0: are you communications coach?
1: I can. I haven't done a whole lot of it other than people in my club and some friends I've done some stuff for, but that is something I'm moving into with my business is to do that. For example, if a company comes up and says, hey, Lewis, we've got this big presentation. It means a lot to us. We're going to win this big contract with it. Can you help us make that presentation better? Absolutely. If I need an executive who needs to learn some things about the speaking world, I can certainly jump in and help them as well.
0: Oh, excellent. So listen. some Lewis, has been fantastic. You might tell us about your company and exactly how people can find you. It's very, very simple to find me. Just look up
1: www.gettothedampoint.com. That is D-A-M-N without the E-D-E on it, the E-D at the end of it. So it's gettothedampoint.com, and you'll find that information there. There's a chance for you just to click on and do a quick consultation to see if I can help you. And your
0: is your TEDx on that as well, the link for... Yes. Yeah. I would highly encourage people to listen to that. It it is excellent. You definitely need to listen to your TEDx.
1: Yeah. The TEDx, if you go down to the part about, you know, who is Lewis, the TEDx is on there.
0: And just finally, actually, because, you know, the story, because we're talking about stories, your son, your, your, this, yeah, I think that's one that you you might let us know what your son done.
1: I don't want to spoil it, but I will tell you this. If you listen to my TEDx, you're going to see that my son did something that I wanted to kill him for. That's all I'll say. I'll leave it at that because it's it's just a really, as you'll know, I don't want to spoil it for you. But as you'll attest to, it's a very interesting story, is it not?
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Listen, Lewis, it's been excellent. Thank you very much. I'll put the Thank you, links in the podcast description below. Thank you. So that's all, the end for uh, Speaking Podcast. You can find our episodes on speakingpodcast.com or on Bitchute or on YouTube. Give us a thumbs up. Share with your friends. Until next week, take care.